All right. Good morning, Faith Church. What's going on, everybody? Hey, welcome, 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 welcome. Man, it's great to see everybody here. My name is Steve Husky. I'm the lead pastor, and it's our privilege to have you in the house. If you're Faith family, come on, man. It's great to have you here today. I know there's some sickness going around, and so if you're homesick, we're, we hate that you're sick, but we're glad you're home. Come on, we're next. We're a love church here. We're a fist bumping church for the next few weeks. Okay, come on, y'all. Don't hug me and don't pass it on. Listen, I will pray against you. Stop praying for you. But we hope everybody's well. If you're not truly, man, we're praying for you, man. Welcome everybody online. Come on, give it up for our faith church family up in Lawrenceburg. It's good to have you guys in the house. Well, listen, man, I, uh, I'm a movie guy. We talk about that from time to time. Love to go to the movies. I'm not really a big fan of the 3D movies. Anybody a fan of 3D movies? I don't know if it's just my eyes don't work, but like I, I feel like I can't see what everybody else is seeing. But you know what's crazy is really the idea of 3D, seeing things in 3D. I was doing some, some research, and that stuff's been around really since the late 1880s. Somebody figured that out, but... Really, it caught in culture, uh, in culture, probably in the 70s is when it kind of took off, became mainstream, and it's just gotten bigger and bigger. Now, every time there's a big, like, mega movie box, you know, box office hit, they always have the 3D version. And the thing that probably has changed the most with 3Ds are the glasses. Come on, now, y'all, come on, some of you can go back in the day, like, now they're like Ray-Bans. Come on, back in the day, these babies used to look like this right here. Come on. Anybody remember your 3D glasses looking like this? I remember when I was a kid, when I had gotten our first, it was like a magazine, and all it was filled with was posters, probably about eight posters, and a pair of these babies. And, uh, and you would look at these posters, and you couldn't really see anything but like red and blue lines, and then you would put your 3D glasses on, and these things would like come alive, start popping off the page. And now when you go to movies, you're like, like you're getting a workout. My abs get a workout. I get a core workout. Because I'm like ducking and weaving. But here's the thing. Come on, with 3D glasses, is when you don't have them on, all you can see is just the two-dimensional page or the two-dimensional screen. But when you put on your 3D glasses, all of a sudden, you have eyes to see a dimension that your natural eyes couldn't show you, right? The difference isn't what's on the page. It's what's on your eyes. And what we're talking about in this series that we started last week is this idea, eyes to see. Everybody say, give me eyes to see. That's what we're praying throughout this series is that God would open our eyes because here's the idea throughout this series is there's more to see than your physical eyes can perceive. Now, we know that's just true. There are things that are so small our natural eyes can't see. There are things that are so far away our natural eyes can't see. But come on through this series, what we're talking about is that there is a realm that our natural eyes cannot see. And my prayer for you as people of faith, and if you're new to faith, if you're trying to figure spiritual things out, I'm praying this for you too, that God will open your eyes to see more than your natural eyes can show you. Here's what the Apostle Paul said in talking about this idea of what our eyes can show us. In 1 Corinthians 2.14, he said, but the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God for their foolishness to him, nor can he know them because they're spiritually discerned. He's talking about the difference between your natural eyes and your spiritual eyes. He's talking about this idea, and when he talks about our natural man, what he means is basically like this right here. Your natural man is what your five senses tell you. And I'm thankful God's given us sight 
in sound, in taste, in touch. Like, I'm glad God's given us those things. But, but what Paul is saying is what God wants to show you and what God wants you to see, your natural eyes can't pick up and your natural, eyes can't, your natural ears can't hear. In fact, I know this is probably more cultural phrasing, but come on. I'm talking about not just the five senses. I believe God, when we walk in faith, that God gives us a sixth sense. Come on, that God opens our eyes to see something that our natural eyes can't show us. In fact, he makes this comment that it's foolishness to the natural man. Some of you are sitting in this room or you're watching online and, and you've heard people say, uh, you know, man, I, I felt like I heard God say. And you're like, man, that's foolish. Can't nobody hear God. Well, I can hear God. I just don't hear him with these ears. I can see God. Come on. I just don't see him with these natural eyes. Come on. I see God moving in people's lives. I see God moving in this house. I see God moving. Come on. Anybody in this house, you see God on the move. And we just don't see God and we just don't hear God. I feel, there's times I sense the presence of God. Like I don't physically come and feel him put his arm around me, but I can sense his presence in worship. What Paul is talking about is, is, again, the difference between what our natural man can tell us and what kind of this spiritual element, if we'll walk this out, can tell us. In fact, this is why throughout Scripture you'll find this phrase that Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, 7, for we walk by faith and not by sight, which means he's not saying don't lean on the five senses, but if you only lean on the five senses, you'll miss God's best because God reveals his best plan through the sixth sense that we're called to walk by faith. And if you have to pick whether I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to believe my natural eyes or my spiritual eyes, because spiritual eyes, come on, spiritual eyes realize, right? Like realize, realize. I'm gonna, I'm, if I'm going to really see God, I got to see beyond just what my natural, consens- my natural senses can show me. And throw this, so through this series, here's the idea is that success, success in life, success in business, success in marriage, success is found in learning which lens will lead your life. What lens are you leaning on? Are you leaning on just your natural senses? Come on, because I promise you, you'll miss God. There's a lot of things I've decided to do in life that everything my natural man said, run, don't, that's, I had people in my life, that's dumb. I've had accountants say, don't give that much. I've had family members say, don't go that direction. And I did what God showed me to do rather than what people said I should do. And it always worked out to my benefit. Come on, everybody say, open my eyes. So it's a great scripture, man, because this, this whole idea of opening our eyes, again, Jesus said he came to open the eyes of the blind. And we find this idea, and it's used with lots of different synonymous words and phrases like revelation, perception, realization. And it's all pointed to the same thing, again, that there's a dimension and there's a realm that our natural eyes can't show us. And so today I want to look, and this is really, I could make, I'm, we're going to pound through a lot of scripture today, and I just trust that God's going to use it, Lawrenceburg to speak to you, Florence to speak to you, that as we go through this, there's a couple, couple places very specifically in scripture where it says God opened somebody's eyes. Not that they were blind and couldn't see and God healed them so their physical eyes, but God opened their spiritual eyes to see something. And I want to look it's some of the things God allowed them to see because I believe what God showed them is some things that God still wants to show us. 
And here's what David said. I love this. David said this, I would have lost heart unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. What he was saying was everything I was seeing with my natural eyes, I was ready to tap out. I was ready to give up. I was ready to throw. And if I didn't believe I could see God move, I was done. Some of you in this room, you're ready to tap out. You're ready to throw in the towel on your marriage. You're ready to give up on life. I'm praying that God will open your eyes. Come on. So you're not going to have to lose heart. You're about to see the goodness of God in the land of the living. Anybody here want that? Come on. So three places that we're going to look at today, there's, there's for sure more than this, but three places I want to look at real quick today. Again, we're going to blow through some scriptures, so take great notes, is, uh, is first place I want to look at is in Genesis, Genesis 21. It's a story of this guy by the name of Abraham. Abraham, a lot of you possibly are familiar with him, but Abraham was this guy that God really pulled out of anonymity and basically spoke a blessing over his life that he would take this man who was in the later stages of life and that he was going to bless him and that through his family lineage was going to make him a great nation. Now the problem with, at least not the, problem, the promise, but for sure the potential was that he was old. Not only was he old, but his wife was old. And, and the, the, the possibility of them having that promise in their natural strength, come on, wasn't possible. That's why if we're going to see the promise of God, we got to experience the power of God because we can't do it on our own. And so they go about doing what they need to do to get pregnant. I, I got some diagrams if we need them, but I think we're good. And so they go about it, and ultimately years pass, and Sarah, Abraham's wife, can't get pregnant. And so out of a desperate move to see the promise of God fulfilled, she goes to Abraham, her husband, and Sarah says, obviously something's wrong with my womb, but I want to give you Hagar, my, my, my servant, and you can go sleep with her, and possibly you can get pregnant with her. Basically, she gives Abraham a hall pass. Come on. And so she didn't have to tell Hagar twice. I mean, actually, she's like, you can go sleep. And he's like, and he goes into Hagar. Hagar gets pregnant, and Hagar gives birth to a baby boy that they name Ishmael. Now, Ishmael isn't the promised child because the promise was supposed to come from Abraham and Sarah which means they keep trying, and eventually Sarah does get pregnant and gives birth to the, the family lineage line that the promise was to go through, and that was the son, Isaac. Now, you got to imagine the tension in that house. Come on, there's some tension in the house with one wife. This guy's got two, and he's got two now firstborn sons from these wives, and he's trying to decide, who do I give attention to? Finally, like every good woman does who's had enough in the household, she puts her foot down and tells Abraham, listen, you got to run this woman out of my house and her boy can go with her. And Abraham does what every man does when his woman puts the foot down and says, no, he ain't going anywhere. I'm gonna this is my house and I'm going to have things my way. He ain't going anywhere. And then the story picks up. Genesis 21, 14. So Abraham got up early the next morning, prepared food in a container of water, strapped them on Hagar's shoulders and sent her away. Come on, man. We know how that goes. Like, we sound big, but he basically drives Hagar and his son Ishmael out of the house. And then he sent her away, and she wandered. Watch this now. She wandered aimlessly in the wilderness of Beersheba. So she's been given enough food and water to stay alive. This is in a desolate area. It's in a desert area. There's nothing to eat, nothing to drink. And ultimately, she runs out of resources. In verse 16, it says, then she went and sat down by herself about 100 yards away. I don't want to watch my boy die, she said as she burst into tears. 
But God heard the boy crying, and the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven, Hagar, what's wrong? He said, do not be afraid. God has heard the boy crying as he lies there. Go to him and comfort him, for I will make a great nation from his descendants. Then God opened Hagar's eyes. Come on, y'all read that. Then God opened Hagar's eyes, and she saw a well full of water. And she quickly filled the water container and gave the boy to drink. So here she is wandering in the wilderness. She gets at such a desperate situation. She recognizes dehydration on her son, knows that he's going to die. And so because she doesn't want to see her little boy suffer and die, she lays him underneath the shade of a bush to die on his own and goes away outside of earshot so she doesn't even have to hear her cries. Thankfully, God still hears the cries of even this little child. And God responds to Hagar, hey, I got this. And he says this statement right here. He makes this statement. Now, here's what I want to talk about. Number one thing God wants us to see is God wants us to open our eyes to his provision. Come on, how many people know that we serve a God who's a provider? And so here's this little boy stuck underneath the shade of this bush, dehydrated, ready to die. And again, God speaks to Hagar. Hey, listen, man, it's going to be okay. But I want you to notice the very first thing he says. And this is what a lot of us in this room, a lot of us in Lawrenceburg, a lot of you online, this is what you need to hear for whatever stage of life you're in. Do not be afraid. Come on. That's a powerful promise. Come on. Don't be afraid. Now, I know that's counterintuitive. Here's why. It's because scarcity always steals our serenity. Poverty always robs us of our peace. When, when we don't have enough, right, our needs always make us nervous. Like when we feel like I don't have enough money, I don't have enough of what I need, anytime we feel short, come on, think about any, any stage in your life where you were worried or you were afraid, it's because you didn't have enough. You didn't have enough health. You didn't have enough strength. You didn't have enough help. Come on, you didn't have enough money. It's in those moments, man, our serenity gets robbed because we feel like we don't have enough. And God steps on the scene where this woman is out of resources. Her kid's about to die and says, come on, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. I, I remember um, probably the, the first time, and it might have been the only time, uh, as my, my wife and I, we were a young couple, and you know, you're kind of trying to figure out finances. And, and somehow, ultimately, I found this after I went back and balanced our checkbook. But I had somehow put one too many deposits in our checkbook that I actually got in my bank account. So I thought we had more money than we had, and so I wrote more checks than we could afford. Come on, some of you following me. And I never forget going to the mailbox like, you know, I like mail. I don't know about anybody else, but I like getting mail. I like junk mail. And uh, so I went like bebopping like, I wonder what some, someone sent me a thank you card, a birthday card. And I opened up, I'll never forget the first time we got an NSF charge from the bank, non-sufficient funds. That one did not feel good. And uh, I was like, wait, we got money in the bank. Because, again, I balanced my checkbook. Well, the next day we got like two more. And the next day we got like three more. And the next thing you know, I had more, in, I had more non-sufficient fund charges than I had in my next deposit going in. Come on, you want to talk about losing some sleep and getting worried? Thankfully, I found a gracious banker that I pled the blood of Jesus with. <laughs> and he forgave some, of my, forgave some of our thing. But come on. Come on, everybody in this room, you know what it's like to run short and to get into worry. What I've come to tell you today is that God wants to open our eyes to see that you're not the only one responsible for getting what you need. God is our provider. Now, I'm going to tell you, and we, we, I think most of us, we know this is true. Oftentimes, when we come to Christ, we have this unrealistic expectation that he's going to just, like, fill all of our needs, and we're never going to have any needs. And what I have found for me is that I still have the same needs now after coming to Christ that I had before I came to Christ. The difference between those needs is now I have a new source. 
I don't have any new needs, but now I have a new source. Now I've realized it's not up to how strong I am, how smart I am, how educated I am, how good looking I am, how hardworking I am. It's not up to me to get the job, get the raise, get the bonus, get the benefit, get the contract, get in the career path, get into school. Come on, when you come to Christ, you have a new provider. He gives you strength. He gives you peace. He gives you... Come on, some of you ought to get on board with this. God is our provider and can do for you what you could never do for yourself. And so... But the other side of this, and I think this is important to hear, is that at the same time, come on, that, that there are still needs in our life, but God becomes a different source. When you come to Christ, again, God does a whole new thing. He opens our eyes to a whole new way, a whole new faith system to see who he is and to see what he can do. But God will still oftentimes allow needs in our life, so we will still allow him to be a part of our life, right? God, I'm just telling you, some of you are praying for things that God's never going to give you. And do you know Why? Because if he gives you some of the things you're praying for, you'll put yourself in a place that you don't need God. And God will never bless you to a level where there's not room for him in your life. In fact, I believe with all my heart that there's times that God will allow needs in our life that will drive us to him to be the one who will seek to fulfill them. That's what David said. David said in, uh, in Psalm 23, he said, the Lord is my shepherd. Come on, what did he say? I shall not. Now, he's not saying, right, I never have any wants. What he's saying is... It's not that I don't have wants. He's saying, but I always have a shepherd that'll take care of me. Yeah. I'm still a sheep that gets thirsty. I'm still a sheep that gets hungry, but I'm thankful now I have a shepherd that can lead me beside still waters. Come on, is anybody thankful for a shepherd that, come on, can take care of us? Yeah. Yeah. And he goes on and he says this uh, after he tells, the angel tells uh, Hagar, listen, uh, don't be afraid. And then he says this, he says about this baby boy that's dehydrated underneath this bush next to death. He says, I'll make him a great nation. If you're wondering, maybe in the story that I didn't share, how did Abraham truly, like, how could he possibly, how could that guy sleep at night knowing he, he kicked his, this woman, he got pregnant, and this, his firstborn son, how could you kick your son out of the house? Well, the reason he was able to have such a level of audacity is because God gave him the same promise. Don't worry about this baby boy. I'm going to take care of him, and I'm going to make him a great nation. It wasn't until Hagar gets in this situation of desperation that she hears the promise as well, which what I want to tell you is this. While she saw death, God saw destiny. What she saw was the end. God said it's only the beginning. And I'm telling you, that's why we need to open our eyes because what we see is never going to show us all there is. Some of you are in a situation, in a marriage, in a job, and all you see is death and a dead end. But God's still got a destiny over your life. But you got to see he's your provider and you're not. Come on. Everybody say, open my eyes. <laughs> Psalm 37, 35. I love this scripture. David says this. David says, I have been young. Come on, y'all read this with me. I have been young and now I'm old. Come on, some of that, that, that hits close to home, don't it? I have been young and now I'm old. Watch this. He's saying, yet I've never seen the righteous forsaken nor his descendants begging bread. Come on, y'all. Some of you got to write that down. You want a bumper sticker, make that one. I've never, what he's saying is throughout my entire life, I've never seen God's people. I've never seen them forsaken. I've never seen God give up on them. Now, I don't think what he's saying, I don't think what he's saying is I've never seen somebody with a need. But what he's saying is as long as they were the righteous people, as long as they were God's people, they were still tied to a shepherd. What he's saying is not that I've never seen a person in need, but I've never seen God disappoint a person in need and not meet the need. Come on, you may have needs, but hold out. Believe God that he is your provider, that he can make a way. But we need to see God to open our eyes. Genesis 21, 19. Then God opened Hagar's eyes, and she saw a well full of water. 
Now, I don't know, was the well there all along? Did God make the well appear because she does not see it before? I don't know. Here's what I do know is her and her child was at the point of death until God opened her eyes to his provision. And all of a sudden, she saw a way out because of God's faithfulness. One of the most important lessons that God in the Old Testament spent time teaching the nation of Israel as they wandered through the wilderness was that he was their provider. In fact, he makes it very clear. He makes his name known to the nation of Israel through several different means, several different names. One of the names that God makes known to the children of Israel is that he is Jehovah Jireh. He is the God who provides. Come on, everybody say Jehovah Jireh. That means the Lord Jireh, our provision. Here's why that's important. Everywhere in scripture, names are always important. When God names somebody something, that name means something. And when God reveals his name, his names mean something. Uh, I remember I was in seventh or eighth grade in English class, and we were doing a study like on our last names and how oftentimes our last names that we have, our surnames, tell us something about our history. And so the teacher was showing us how even some common names, really what they meant and where they came from. And I'll never forget they got to me. And I have a little bit of a unique name, at least in the north. There's some huskies. got some other huskies in the house. They're, they're not my huskies, but they're huskies. I'm like, go huskies. But we were going, I'm like, what does husky mean? And the uh, next person who says is dolls getting throat punched. But they said it was this. They said, potentially your name husky came from the two words house key which means maybe at some point in your family lineage, you had a person that like their job was to manage the keys of like, like a, a kingdom or a residence. And I was, I was disappointed. I wasn't, we weren't the king, but I still got to hold the keys. Come on, somebody. <laughs> Jesus gave us the keys to the kingdom. Come on, they're not ours, but we get to hold them. But what I want to tell you is this. Come on. That ultimately, I found out some of who I was based on my name. God reveals who he is through his name, that he is Jehovah Jireh, the Lord who provides. And he wants his people to know that no matter what your need is, he can meet it. They're hungry, wandering through the desert. And God turns the hot light on every morning and serves them donuts for as, come on, as much as they can eat. They get so tired of donuts, they complain about the donuts and ask for meat. Hey, listen, if you get tired of donuts, something's wrong with you, not the donuts. But God provides them quail. They don't have, God just gives them meat to eat. There's times recorded where God just, Moses speaks to a rock and enough water comes out of a rock to fulfill the thirst of a million people and all their livestock in the desert. What God is saying, I don't care what you need, I can meet it, which is why Paul said, and my God shall supply all of your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Come on, get that verse up there. That's what God's promise is, which means this isn't a money talk. I'm telling you, some of you have been looking for acceptance by the clicks you make, how many likes you get. You're trying to do things in your own strength, and your own power. I'm telling you, God is our provider. He can meet the strength. He can give us the peace we need, the hope we need. He can give us the acceptance some of us are looking for. You're not going to find it in a bedroom. You're going to find it in Christ. Everything we need, he can give us because he's our provider. Come on, someone shout, open my eyes. Second thing I want to give you today, real quick, is a story. And this is a great story, a very, very cool story, a lot of crazy details in it. But God's Word records a story of this guy in Numbers chapter 22 of this guy by the name of Balaam. Balaam is a prophet, which means that God uses him profoundly to speak to his people. And this just isn't a message. This is God's message, which means it carries authority. However, later in his life, Balaam basically loses his way. And someone pays him, a king that's against the nation of Israel, buys out the prophet. The prophet is for sale for profit. I'm going to get to that in a second. 
and he sells out his calling, instead of being the prophet of God to speak a blessing over God's people, he gets hired out to go to God's people and speak a curse over them. And so he takes the money and he's on a mission. And the story in Numbers 22 tells us that he's riding down the road on a donkey. While he's riding down the road on a donkey, an angel of the Lord with a fiery sword stands in the middle of the path. The challenge is the prophet can't see him, but the donkey can. And so the donkey starts freaking out at this angel in the middle of the road, starts bucking and going crazy and goes off the path into the field. The prophet is so mad at the donkey, he gets out his staff, gets off and starts beating this donkey. Now, just picture this. Come on. Y'all aren't reading your Bible enough. Finally, after enough coercion of beating this donkey, he's able to get the donkey back on the path, walking the direction. However, the angel of the Lord is still standing in the path. And so he's forcing this donkey to walk down this path. And in order for this donkey to go around this angel, the path that he's on gets enclosed and gets more and more narrow by rocks on each side. And so the donkey tries to go between the angel and the wall and ends up smashing the foot of the prophet that's saddled on the side against the rock. Come on, y'all know what it feels like to kick something in the middle of the night with a toe. Imagine getting your whole foot smashed on a rock. Balaam loses his mind. And he jumps off and starts beating this donkey again. At which point in the story, the donkey start, God opens the mouth of the donkey and the donkey starts to talk. <laughs> and the donkey starts saying, why are you beating me? Haven't I always been obedient to you? Haven't I always carried you? Haven't I always done what you told me to do? Haven't I always taken you where you wanted me to go? And, and worse, Balaam starts talking back to the donkey. And what he tells him is, is he's so mad. He says, listen, if I... I only have a staff. If I had a sword, I would kill you. At which point this happens, number 2231. I want you all to read this with me. Come on. Then the Lord opened Balaam's eyes. I got three people reading with it. Come on, Lawrenceburg. Come on, Florence. Then the Lord opened Balaam's eyes, and he saw the angel of the Lord standing in the roadway with a drawn sword in his hand. Balaam bowed his head and fell down on the ground before him. What I want to tell you is God not only wants to open your eyes to his provision, God wants to open your eyes to his direction. I have found personally that one of the greatest, most consistent needs I hear from people is direction. I need direction. Do I buy this house or that house? Do I go to this school or that school? Do I date this person or that person? Do I invest here or do I invest there? Do I take this career path? or I... Come on. How many people in this room, come on, you found yourself in life needing some direction? Come on, I just want you to know, I just want to tell you right up front that God's promise to you is that he wants to open your eyes to the direction he wants you to have. In fact, here's a great promise. Psalm 37, verse 23 says, the Lord directs the steps of the godly and he delights in every detail of their lives. Isn't that a great promise? Now, God isn't going to force you to go anywhere. But what he's saying is that if you're open and you'll allow him, he'll speak to you and he'll steer you and he'll sometimes open doors for you and he'll get you where he wants you to go if you're willing to be sent there. That God gives us a direction. But here's what I'm going to talk about for a few minutes. I don't want to talk about getting direction when we want direction. For a few minutes, I'm going to talk about getting direction when we don't want direction. 
Come on, because a lot of us in this room, we already got that area of our life figured out. God, don't talk to me about that. Don't, like, that's where I was before I went to Bible college and ended up in ministry. God, I got my career path figured out. I got my school. God, don't talk to me about that. And what I want to tell you is that there's times that God is not just a God who opens doors. God is a God who closes doors. And if we're really going to pray that he directs our path, we need to know there's going to be times that he not only steers us in the right direction, but he'll steer you off of the wrong direction. Some of us in this room, we're in the middle of some battles and some fights, and we feel like very overwhelmed. Things aren't right on the job. Things aren't right. Some of you are in a relationship, and you're wondering, is this the person I marry, and things aren't going well? Listen, it's not the devil fighting you, and it's not that just this person has sometimes a bad attitude. God is trying to let you know you're going the wrong direction, and he's standing in your path trying to get you to turn around because he wants to open your eyes to see direction. Awesome. Four of you. That's great. Give me direction, Lord. I need it. Uh, there's a show that's on TV. I don't know if y'all have seen this. When I first seen it on the commercials, I thought, these guys are idiots. But I watch it faithfully. <laughs> Which describes, I think, probably many of our TV habits in the room. This, the show is uh, um, Kings of Pain. Has anybody seen Kings of Pain? Y'all need to check it out. We don't get enough viewers that ain't coming back for season two. So here's what Kings of Pain, here's what it's about. It's about these two guys... It's a, it's a reality TV show, and they travel all over the world to these exotic places, and they go into the jungles, and they go into the oceans, and they basically they catch these very poisonous insects, fish, like, and it's escalated. I'm telling you, this last week I watched, they were letting them, and I don't want to get ahead of myself, but they go catch these things, then they sit down, and one, one guy will get tweezers and hold it on the other guy and let it sting them, and they take turns. I can't stop watching it. <laughs> now, here's what's crazy is, it, I'm telling you this, these guys are genius because they figured out a way to get paid for what I used to do for free on a double dog dare. <laughs> but this last time, it got so bad, I'm telling you, it just escalated. This, it went from real, like bugs and scorpions and like all kind of crazy. This last time, they got, they bit, let each other get bit by a box head, I don't remember what kind of snake it was, but it didn't have normal, it had just sharp teeth, lacerated their arms. One guy said, I'm going to have to have surgery to repair nerve damage. Now, I'm just going to tell you something. When you make dumb decisions, it's going to cost you something. Oh, no, I'm not being funny anymore. I'm preaching. You take the wrong path, it's going to be painful. And sometimes the reason God is trying to direct you is not just because he has something better for you. It's because he's trying to keep you from the pain you're about to put yourself in. And some of you have put your calling up for cash. Come on, you have put your call as a prophet up for profit. And you're going to miss what God has for you because you're determined to do things your own way, go your own route, and abandon God's presence. And God says, listen, you may not want me, but I still want you. And I'm going to get in your way all I can. I'm thankful when God stands in my way. Lord, open my eyes. Last week, I told you, I thought one of the probably the coolest um, scientific kind of stats that I had read getting ready for this series was that, again, that 80% of what we see or 80% of what we remember and 80% of what we learn comes by what we see, which means our natural eyes are so pivotal to who we are. But again, the challenge is, again, notice Balaam, he continued down the wrong path because he couldn't see the next level. There was an angel standing there that he couldn't see, which why he stayed on the same path. What I mean is insufficient data will always lead to improper decisions. That's just a fact. If you don't have all the data 
in buying a house. You don't have all the data. You don't really know what that guy's about. It could potentially be a wrong decision. But what God wants us to do is to involve him in the decisions that we make. God wants us to open our eyes. Come on. God wants to open our eyes to his ability to make sure that we're going in the right direction. I've seen another thing this past week. Uh, there are these people all over the world. It's crazy to me. They call themselves uh, social, social influencers, which basically they're idiots that have a YouTube page. And uh, not all of them, but at least all the ones I've seen. But anyways, I digress. And so there's one this, this guy I seen this past week, and I've seen the post. He posted on, uh, on Instagram. And he started the post basically this way, just got out of prison, which is nothing really to celebrate, like just came back from the beach. That's what I want on my, just got out of prison, and he goes through to talk about it, and the picture is that this guy is sitting on top of one of the pyramids of Giza, taking a picture. And his point is, once he came down, he got arrested and spent six days in an Egyptian prison, which is no holiday. Now, I'm just telling you, in order for him to get where he got on top of that pyramid, not only did he have to have the, the capacity and the ability uh, to get up on top of that, but he had to bypass security. He had to climb over barriers. He had to move beyond kind of rope barriers. What I'm telling you is there was all kind of things in his path to say, don't go there or this is going to end bad. And I'm telling you, listen to me, God is putting barriers in your path to keep you out of pain and to keep you from prison or whatever it takes. And we just need to continue to pray. Come on, everyone say it with me, God, open my eyes. You know, it's one thing, and it's what's crazy is that a lot of times we can see God moving in other people's lives. Isn't that true? Have you ever noticed that? It's so clear when God's moving in someone else's life. We're like, well, I wish the Lord would do that for me. And the Lord's doing it. Sometimes we just don't see it. If we see it, have you ever noticed that oftentimes we see it behind us? Like if I were able to sit down with probably almost any one of you in this room, I could help you to look back to a place in your life where you say, man, I didn't realize it in the moment, man, but God was there. God came through. Man, I don't even know how. Man, God healed me. Man, God, God restored that relationship. And here's what I want you to know is I, I, think, it's, I think it's great and it's okay to, to see God in the rearview mirror, but God wants us to see him in the windshield. It's awesome to know he was there, but I think it's more important to know he's, he's here. It's great to celebrate God's direction in our past, but it's better to perceive it in our present. Come on. Anybody down with that? Come on and say, God, open my eyes. All right. Real quick, I'm running out of time. Third place, third place where we see of many places where God opens people's eyes is a story Pastor Chris mentioned last week. And so let me just let you in on, on the way preachers think. When someone says a scripture that they're about to share before you share it, you don't like them. First Sunday here, Chris is like, and so Elisha, and I'm like, he is not about, I've been preparing that message for months. But I decided I was going to share it anyways. So the story, the third story is this story of Elisha, the prophet. And Elisha, if you don't know the story, it's in 2 Kings, such a powerful story. Here's the story is the, the, the nation of Assyria hated the nation of Israel, and they were constantly trying to come against the nation of Israel. And so the king would sit down with all of his generals, and they would come up with this great battle plan. This is how we're going to get them this time. And every time the kingdom of Assyria, every time the Assyrians would attack the Israelites, it would fail. Somehow the Israelites always knew what the game plan of the Assyrians were before they executed it. Finally, after time, after time, after time, the king gets frustrated. He calls all of his generals in, all of his king's court in. He says, basically, one of you is a traitor. 
Because I keep coming up with these plans, but every time I execute my battle plan, it's as if there's a traitor letting Israel know what's going on because they're able to head us off before I even get there. What gives? And someone speaks up and says, hey, it's not anybody in your court. The reason that you keep getting headed off by your battle plan is they got a secret weapon. Come on, I came to tell you eyes to see is a secret weapon. Said they got Elisha the prophet, and Elisha the prophet knows what we're talking about, why we're talking about it, and he tells the king before you execute the plan, and that's why we can't, that's why we can't do this thing. The king gets so mad that he decides to send an entire battalion to find Elisha the prophet and kill him. So this battalion finds Elisha the prophet, nighttime comes, and they surround him. This entire army surrounds him, he's down in the valley. Morning comes, and his servant, it's just Elisha and his servant, his servant wakes up in the morning, Ugh. and he's out like stretching, and he starts looking around, he's like, uh-oh, and he runs in, and he grabs Elisha, he's like, Elisha, we're surrounded, and here's where the story picks up, 2 Kings chapter 6, verse 16 and 17, I want you to notice this common denominator here, watch this, don't be afraid, if I shout those words, don't be afraid. Elisha told him, for there are more on our side than on theirs. Now stop. Elisha's like 800, And he looks at him, he's like, one, two. He's like, now, Elisha, I'm going to tell you, I can hold my own. I can help you with like three of them. But that's it. Elisha, you're saying there's more of us than them. I don't know where you went to school, but I'm counting some odds are steeply against us. Do you know why? Because he was looking with his natural man through his natural eyes. Come on, say, open my eyes. Then Elisha prayed, O Lord, open his eyes and let him see. And the Lord opened the young man's eyes. And when he looked up, he saw that the hillside around Elisha was filled with horses and chariots of fire. There was a whole nother army that showed up. It was on the side of Elisha. Come on, somebody. What I want you to know is God just doesn't want to open your eyes to his provision. God just doesn't want to open our eyes to his direction. God wants to open our eyes to his protection, which means when you're going through a tough time, when you're in a difficult season, you don't have to fight alone because you're you're not alone. There's a God who's fighting for us and through us and with us. David said in Psalm 46, verse one, God is our refuge and strength. Who do you run to? Come on. Who do you run to when you're in trouble? We run to social media, run to books. What do you run to? A bottle, a bedroom. David said, I run to my refuge. I've got a place I can go when I'm in trouble. God is our refuge and strength, always ready to help in times of trouble. See, again, I think sometimes we hope that once we come to Christ, that we'll have a problem-free life. If anybody should have had a problem-free life, it was Elijah the prophet. Elisha did not have a problem-free life. He still had problems. And all of us in this room, we can testify, even though maybe we are in a journey of faith and our relationship with God is growing that all of us in this room, we can testify that we still have problems. Can I get an amen? You can amen that. We still have problems. And so there is no place in Scripture where God promises us a problem-free life. What he does promise is a presence-filled life, which means you're still going to have problems. The only difference is you're not in the fight alone. God's presence is in it with us. Come on, does anybody know that's true? If you're taking notes, you can write this down right here. I love this. Come on, somebody. So I might be surrounded by my enemy, but my enemy is surrounded by my God. Isn't that good? I might be surrounded, 
My enemy might have me pinned in, but my enemy's surrounded, and God's got him pinned in. God opened my eyes to see in the hospital, in the bankruptcy, in the difficult times. You're fighting with me. You're fighting through me. It's not up to my strength. It's up to your strength. There's a, a movie. I don't know if anybody remembers it. I surprised first service. Quite a few, few people remembered it. It's a pretty low-rated movie. But anybody here see the movie Angels in the Outfield? I'm telling you, we're going to do a movie night. Faith Church movie night, Angels in the Outfield. If you've not seen it, Angels in the Outfield, it's, again, it's a pretty low-budget movie. But it, it's the story of this kid, this young teenage boy. And like a lot of families, unfortunately, today, they divorce. And he's so heartbroken, the thought of his family being apart. He, he says to his dad early in the movie, Dad, when will we be a family again? And the dad, knowing at that in the movie how bad the angels, the baseball team is, he says this, when the angels win the pennant. Basically, it was his way of saying, like, our family's done. We're never getting back together because the angels aren't never going to win the pennant. And so this little boy at night, he lays his head down and he prays like we do. He prays. He says, God, help the angels win a pennant so I can get my family back. And so he's an avid baseball fan, and so he goes to an Angels game, and they're a horrible team. That's what the whole movie's about is how bad they are. And at one point in the movie, the kid's sitting in the stand watching everything happen out on the field, and the other team hits the baseball, and it flies out to center field, and there's an outfielder out there for the Angels. He's horrible, and he runs, and he jumps way too early. There's no way he's going to catch this ball. It's way out in front of him. But all of a sudden, this boy sees an Angel swoop down, pick up this outfielder so he can catch the catch, and then he drops. Well, in the movie, nobody in the stands, nobody can see the angel. It just looked like an amazing catch. But this little boy's like, there was an angel. And then they flip, and these guys are horrible at-bats, and this guy gets up to bat. He typically strikes out. Instead, he swings the bat. He swings the bat so hard, the bat just obliterates into toothpicks, and he smashes this ball for a home run. And everybody's like, ah. Well, what nobody can see is that when this guy went up to swing the bat, is this little boy could see an angel got behind him and helped him swing the bat. And so the whole movie is this, the, 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 the angels start becoming a winning team. Nobody can see the angels but this little kid. And so the angel gets a conversation with Danny Glover, who's the, who's the baseball manager, and he tells him, he says, you, you know why y'all are winning? It's because there's angels here. And he don't believe him at first, but finally he sees so many things, he's convinced, my eyes can't see it, but... My eyes are showing me something. And so he tells the little kid in the movie, he's like, I can't see the angels. When you see the angels, I need a sign. Oh, come on. And he, so here's the sign. Don't hate on me. And so like, also one part of the movie, like the game is like on the line. And also he sees an angel show up. And so, And by the end of the movie, the whole stadium is like, <laughs> y'all think I'm crazy. Come on. I wish some people would know we don't live in just a natural world where we're just in it. There's another realm with a big God. God has angels on our side. There's real battles there. Come on, someone I have some faith be like, come on, I see angels. Come on, I'll do it. I'll do it double layer. Come on. I see angels. Come on, how many in this room would just be honest enough to say, God, I need you to open my eyes. I need you to open my eyes. All I see is me. All I see is what I'm going through. All I see is my resources. All I see is my struggle. God, I need, this op- I need you to open my eyes. I can see your provision. I need you to open my eyes to see your direction. I need you to open my eyes 
to see your protection. Come on, raise your hand again. I, God, I open my eyes. Father, that's our, that's our prayer, just like Paul prayed. Dear God, you'd open the eyes of our understanding, that you would help us to see and discern and understand what you're doing. That God, we won't walk in fear, but in faith, and we'll trust you with the most difficult seasons and problems of our life. Open our eyes to see you. And God, give us the faith to follow what our spiritual eyes could show us that our natural eyes never could. In Jesus' name, and everybody who agrees, said amen.